Welcome to the Fire and Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow. I believe in taking massive, inspired action from an awakened soul. This show is a weekly dose of spiritual principles, personal development, and success strategies for creating an epically aligned life. Here's to your wildest dreams coming true with less hustle, grit and grind, more flow, ease, and grace. I'm the founder of the Live Video Mastery Academy, a TV host, speaker, best-selling author, and proud fur mama, and I'll be sharing real talks with successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, best-selling authors, spiritual luminaries, and high-performance experts in this unfiltered, transformational, and soul-centered podcast. Things are about to get real. Are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome back to the Fire and Soul Podcast. I'm super excited that you're here today. want to say that I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a new episode released, but there's good reason for that. I was able to take a very spontaneous trip to the south of France to visit with a couple of girlfriends, one who actually lives just outside of Cannes, and another girlfriend of mine who is also an entrepreneur and coach named Mandy Dana, and she's in my mastery mastermind. We've connected through the Tony Robbins tribe. I knew she was going as well, so we all three met up and had a really great time. But the reason why that's important and ties in to my epic guest today, Tiffany Carter, is because if you, like me, at least up until a couple of months ago, as an entrepreneur, possibly solopreneur, have felt stressed or overwhelmed or even burned out because you're on this relentless, inexhaustible mission to make a difference, but yet don't take time to go slow or to unplug or to reset and rejuvenate and revitalize, then it's really hard to tune back into what inspired you us, you, from the beginning. And I don't know how many people I can count that are so stressed right now and they're doing the same work that I'm doing, but of course with their own hue, their own flavor, their own intention. But it just seems like everybody is so stressed out, so burnt out, so exhausted, but yet just keep going, going, going. So there needs to be a conversation for patience And letting go of the grit and the grind and the hustle, which is, of course, what the Fire and Soul podcast is all about, and bringing guests on that are doing the same from the inside out and not getting caught up in the race and the competition and the rush of it all, not being in a hurry, knowing that when we let go and we flow and we're just steady, And that we actually allow times to realign with ourselves, with our family, our friends, and self-care time. That that, my friends, is the secret sauce. That is the magic that will allow us to prevail decade after decade with more fulfillment and success, but not just the financial or professional success, right? Success from the inside out. And so that's what today's guest is all about. And that's what my trip represented. Tiffany Carter and I really bonded as a result of going to a two-day event a few months ago called The Harmonious Hustle by Nicole Sylvester, who will also be on the show soon. And we had this moment that I'll never forget. And it was a moment to kind of think about what we're going to do next in our careers. And as we held hands and looked at each other in the eye, it was like, you know what? 
We don't need to plan another launch. We don't need to create another program. What we actually need to do is do nothing and enjoy what we've created and to go slow. And we bonded and there were like tears coming down our eyes. And it was like, oh my God, yes, that's the love language. That's what we want to be sharing because otherwise it's never enough. And it just seems to be so frenetic and people just seem to just go, 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 go. And where's the time to enjoy and take a bath in the middle of the day as Tiffany has so gloriously so, and even been on the phone with me in moments like that. Or to plan a trip and it's be okay if you want to integrate a little bit and work a little bit while you're there, but you actually go. And then to come home and by the way, if you're me, binge on Netflix for two days straight as you're recovering from the jet lag and that be okay as well. So this is the conversation of today. Tiffany Carter is an amazing woman, an accomplished woman who walks her talk and that's what this is all about. So you're going to love this conversation. She's truly aligned from the inside out. And that is what she is championing going forward. Championing, I can say that word. So Tiffany Carter takes the mystery out of making big money. She uses a magnetic combination of her clear-cut communication style that she's developed as a news journalist. By the way, she has been on NBC, CBS, and CNN. Her business savvy and proven strategies as a multi-millionaire entrepreneur and her intuitive ability to connect with women on a deeper level to uncover what's blocking them from achieving their dream life. She's a passionate female empowerment speaker, money-making mentor, and marketing expert. Tiffany's zone of genius is helping people become financially free through education, empowerment, and proven straight forward strategies. She's a multimillionaire entrepreneur who's gone from a life of abuse to abundance despite the odds against her. Her mission runs deeper than helping women create wealth. Her bigger purpose is to help women find their self worth. You're going to love this conversation, you guys, and you're going to love Tiffany. And I highly encourage you to follow her podcast, Project Me. By the way, I'll be on hers coming up very soon. Please enjoy this conversation. And for the love of God, make sure that you take time to unplug and to realign to an awakened soul so that everything feels calm and productive, but that you can thoroughly enjoy your mission. Without further ado, here's my new BFF, Ms. Tiffany Carter. Tiffany Carter, welcome to the Fire and Soul podcast. I'm so freaking excited we finally got you here. Oh my God, girl, we have, we have so many things to discuss. <laughs> so many things, but yet at the same time, that very statement means we got to just talk about like one thing. So let me just give everyone the premise. So Tiffany and I have met through various speaking circle opportunities and through different live events for personal growth and millionaire mindset stuff. And we have, I think, a pretty amazing group of friends called our community. And in our last event, the Harmonious Hustle, we got very clear that while you've been busting your booty for a lot longer than I have in this space, with tears streaming down each of our faces and us holding hands, it was like, oh my God, we have to go slow. And we have to have a conversation about this. And it can't just be about boom, 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 the next, next, next. So that's where I want this conversation just to take off from because the Fire and Soul podcast is all of that. It's like, you got to take action, but only if it's aligned and makes sense. Amen to that. I mean, 
we weren't taught this, you know, it's not to shame anyone or any of you guys listening who are like in that hustle mode, you know, first off, corporate America wants that. So breeds that, right. Even rewards that. Like, you know, I was taught, you know, you better be the last to leave work, you know, especially like coming from being in the news industry, right. Like you better be the last to leave, you know, and the first there in the morning, we're taught this. It's just put upon us even in school, right. Like, Maybe they'd say like it's a third in in college, it'd be like it's a 30 page, I don't know, paper on something. Oh, I couldn't do 30 because I knew 40, you know, 40 would be better. So we're taught this. Totally. First one in, last one to leave, no life. And then these days, I don't know our age difference. I think I'm probably 10 years older. But when I was growing up, there were no cell phones. So you were not a slave to your mobile device. These days, I don't, it's like, I can barely sleep. I have to manage it. But can you imagine what it's like in corporate America now? And so many of our listeners are grinding that out. And we're saying, hey, there's no need for any more hustle, grit and grind. You can go slow, let go with patience being the fastest route to success and truly allow yourself to only do what's absolutely needed for the next step to get you toward the ultimate outcome. I did not think you could become financially successful, make an impact on the world, whatever, without hustling because a lot of people don't know this about me, but I was raised by two entrepreneurs. Mm. So my mom was a single mom. Well, you know, in between marriages and boyfriends another story, another day, but hardcore still. I mean, she's 77 and is still working. This woman's the epitome of a workaholic. Now I grew up, we're like the second wealthiest family in a well-to-do neighborhood, right? So I was taught not just by words, but by experiencing that if you want to be super uber successful and have the luxuries of life, right? You have to damn near kill yourself. And my mom would actually say that. If you want to be successful, Tiffany, you have to um, sweat blood and tears. You know, all those sayings a lot of us have heard. And I believed her because she lived it, right? She lived it. And I remember I always said the last thing I'd ever want to be as an entrepreneur. (laughs) It looked like hell. It looked like hell, but yet it's so funny, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And of course, benefit of hindsight being 2020, you've now readjusted your fire, right? Now your aim is a little bit differently and a different pace. Let's though circle back to kind of, you know, a snapshot from that time frame where you're like, I will never be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a newscaster. And then at 30 hitting rock bottom or so you thought, and then that trajectory and then bring us to current day. And we'll talk about why now going slow for you is the most important thing, not as sexy, but so important and can garner unbelievable success. Yeah. I mean, I knew from the age of 13 and I know you'll know this name. In fact, you may have met her. Deborah Norville from Inside yes. Edition. Yes. She came and spoke at my middle school when I was 13. Wow. And just such a class act. Mm. Her presence and her confidence. And at that time, I had none. I was being abused at home. Mm. I had no confidence. It was all fake on the outside, right? Just to survive. And I was like, wow, everyone was quiet. You know, all these kids are quiet and listening to her. And I just wanted to be seen and heard myself. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a Deborah Norville. And I never let go of that dream. And I just kept going for it. And I went, you know, to Emerson College, which is a well-known, you know, school for TV broadcasting. And I got hired by NBC before I even graduated. Wow. But I hustled my way there. 
there is a payoff in hustle, which is why I believe so many of us do it. But then the price to pay is heavy. So even, you know, at a young age, I mean, I was working, grinding it out. I mean, until you like really make it in a lot of industries, you're grinding it out and paying your dues, you know, Thanksgiving at the news desk, 14 hours at a damn fire. Like how many different ways can I say there's a fire? (laughs) Wearing like the yellow fire suit, whatever. And so... I didn't know any other way, but you know what? I felt like I always said, and people will remind me who've been in my life a long time, you always said the same line, I feel like I'm 80 years old. <gasps> it didn't matter if I was 20, 30, you know, it didn't matter. I always said I felt like that. I was exhausted and I just kept pushing and forcing, pushing and forcing. I couldn't be a newscaster anymore at that time. It was too much. How long were you a newscaster before you figured that out? Almost five years. Okay. I knew it was too much, honestly, at year two. But I thought something was broken and something was wrong with me, that it was too much and how ungrateful because, you know, so many people wanted me to drop dead to get my spot, to be frank. That is so true. how ungrateful. And then I'm watching the other people around me and they, were, they seem fine. Remember, what it looks like on the outside is not what's happening on the inside. Yeah. And then not to mention, I mean, how was that you just wanted to be seen and heard, right, when you saw Deborah Norville, because that's all you longed for, to matter, to actually have high self-esteem. Were you experiencing some of that, but maybe on a fake level by being on TV? Yes, all on a fake level, because obviously, I didn't know this, at the time. But what I wanted to be seen and heard from was my story, my truth, my lessons. Oh my God. Obviously, right? When you're a newscaster, it's not my story as actually, I'm not allowed to share my opinion. I'm reporting on the news. So yes, people heard me and saw me, but I, I could have been anybody. And so it didn't, it didn't satisfy that itch or that soul feeling that I really was looking for. That's amazing that you caught that so early. And I know that you're deeply intuitive, but your self-awareness is actually pretty remarkable for being so young. Most people that I know in the entertainment industry, especially as hosts, got into it thinking, or like an entertainment reporter, newscaster, et cetera, I want to say what I want, when I want, how I want, where I want. And then they get on to the red carpet or into the gig and they're like, oh, I never get to do that in this job, but it's 20 years later and I'm watching so many of my friends say, I want to be doing more of what you're doing, podcasting, coaching, speaking, right? Because now we finally get to exercise our own voice. But that self-awareness being so young is really rare. What do you attribute that to? I attribute that to the fact that I was sexually abused from ages 11 to 21 years old Hmm. and I had done a, have done and still do in, you know, I did really intensive therapy of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And I was always a knowledge seeker because of feeling such loss, such confusion. I had such anger, such low self-worth. You know, I read every self-help book that existed, right? And so I was always an old soul. I always felt different. And I hear this now a lot, like in the personal development space from other intuitives and empaths and highly sensitive people. It's like, I always felt different. I always asked the questions that people never even thought to ask. So they'd go, I'm sure you can relate to this. People would go, oh, well, I've never even thought about that. And it's like, oh, this is shit I think about every day. (laughs) Or they'll say, I can't believe she just asked that. 
Meanwhile, yes. they were thinking it. They just would never have the audacity. Yeah. So I believe that's where it comes from. I'm also an only child. And there was obviously a lot of neglect in my household. You know, I was well fed and had fancy clothes and ballet lessons, but I was emotionally and physically neglected. So I was left to have really deep conversations with all my Barbies and Barbie dream house. I'm not joking. Like I had a, I have a Barbie sitting next to my desk yeah. just to remind me because that's where I felt heard. I mean, I'm talking hours on the floor with those Barbies. And of course, we can't leave out Ken and no. Derek from Barbie and the Rockers. If you guys right. remember Derek, he was the hot one. He, Derek was the hot one. He was way hotter than Ken. Oh, I remember it too. And, and, and that's how I lived out my fantasy life because I wasn't getting a lot of my basic needs met at home. Mine was the opposite. We didn't have any money. I didn't really think that we were lacking until I would see what my friends had or what was happening on TV, right? And so I would then live vicariously through my Barbies because Barbies were perfect, you know? But yeah, it would be these conversations and creating this entire fantasy life. That's funny. I haven't talked to anyone about that on this show. Yeah. And I do believe as children, it's so amazing our survival skills and what we do to soothe it's, it's already inside of us. It's natural. But then when we carry those survival traits that we innately use to get through tough times in our life and we carry them into adulthood, they actually no longer serve us anymore and they can turn against us really badly. Which is amazing that you then keep that Barbie by your side or at your desk just to remind you, if anything, how far you've come that you are not that five-year-old or nine-year-old or 15-year-old. I don't know how old you were when you stopped playing Barbies, right? I was way older than my friends. <laughs> Me too. Really? I was. Yes, I actually had to hide them because it was, I think it started being uncool about like sixth grade, I think. Totally. And I wasn't done, man. They were my friends. Totally. Me as well. Yeah, it wasn't cool because that's when, you know, things started getting very competitive in ways that became much more obvious, right? Between like what boy likes, what girl and oh God, all this stuff. I wouldn't trade it. Sixth grade is tricky. Okay. So you decide that you don't want to be a newscaster and it's, you're like what? Mid to late twenties? No, I was mid, mid twenties. I couldn't do it. You, it wasn't even a decision. I got a coveted spot, you know, for that level of my career. Like, listen, it's not like I was Katie Couric. But like, at that level of my career, I got the four-hour CBS morning show spot. You know, that's, that's like... amazing. Right, that's what you want. Like, you want to be at the desk. Well, that's usually most people's goal, right? You want to be at the desk for hours and hours. I got... I gave a two-week notice. Like, I could... I really... I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And it was shocking. And it wasn't long after I got the spot. I just, I couldn't do it, you guys. It was, I, f I felt like a fraud. Mm. I felt like everyone could see my pain on my inside. I had a gazillion eyes looking at me. I mean, I did have a lot of eyes looking at me, but I felt like everyone could see my pain and it was only a matter of time I was going to be found out. Couldn't do it. Had, had to quit. Found out for feeling like the fraud, not having the high self-esteem. Which obviously, I mean, that runs rampant. It's like an epidemic in that sort of live TV entertainment space. However, were you also concerned that you would be found out that you had been, you know, abused for so long? Because I would imagine that would be running you at the deepest level of fear of like, oh my God, if I'm getting to this platform, this is amazing. But yet, what if, how will that impact what I'm trying to build? Totally. It was, it was both. 
my survival mechanism, and for anyone who's listening who's gone through trauma, emotional abuse, physical abuse, assault, whatever, what happens is, is your system can go into like a deep denial about it and you almost can forget parts of it. So I was thawing out. I mean, I even spoke at this, you know, person's wedding. I was still being abused when I was on the air, you guys. I started at 20. The abuse didn't end until I was 21. And who was the abuser? It was a employee of my mom's. Another reason why I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. And my mom ran for most of the years of her company. She ran it out of our, you know, gigantic home. So this person was around all the time. And my mom knew about it. Oh, Jesus. And yeah, there's layers and layers of this. So I started thawing out and coming out of denial. So there was part of that. It was like, I, I knew I was going to crack. I mean, that's a lot of years of a lot of stuff to hold in. I knew I was going to crack and I didn't want to have a full-blown nervous breakdown, which you guys have seen probably in the news. There's newscasters that have had like a full breakdown on TV because you're public or even like a Britney Spears thing. You're a public figure, right? but I knew that a nervous breakdown was freaking coming. I couldn't hold that false front together any longer. Couldn't do it. Well, that makes so much sense. There's a lot to unpack here. But this person, where is this person now? This person is a restaurant manager in Chicago. That I do know. And... I think he's been married twice. I don't know anything else. The statute of limitations had run out by the time I thought out, you know, and, and dealt with my own stuff and would have been ready. There's nothing I can do in terms of that sense. What I can do is what I'm doing now. And what I am doing with Project Me with Tiffany Carter, my second company, my baby, my platform, mm. in order to be, right, selfishly, the part is to be seen and heard, Right but it is for me to help others heal in various ways from their past yes. and get to where they want in their life. That's the best thing that I can do for myself. Like there's a famous quote, like, you know, hurt people, hurt others, right? Well, I believe healed people heal millions. Yes. So when we heal ourselves and we do something with it, that's where I feel like the magic happens which it's, it's beautiful to watch what you do and how many you heal, not only through this work, which is really deep and profound, but also through helping women, men become millionaires, right? With multiple streams of income. And then now I love this whole new torch that you're flagging, which is the going slow. So we're going to get there because that is really what lit you and I up fast, <laughs> which is funny to talk about because it's not what people are talking about but but let's just go back to you decide to resign from CBS, the holy grail, you know, the highest accolade of where you can get to, right? The opportunity that's going to be the beginning of the next level. And what do you do next? I was in Washington. I had to get out of there because, right, people knew my face. I couldn't go to the grocery store. So I came back to Los Angeles because that's where so many of my friends from Emerson live because they're in the entertainment business, Emerson College, shout out. So I came back to somewhere, the, the place that felt good to me, right? Also, I had almost no money. I knew that I could get some help from friends if I needed it. Just P.S., you guys, you don't make shit on TV until you do and if you do, which can take a very long time. So I was broke. And nowadays, there's like 10 people in the entire industry that, that will make a lot of money. 
Right. You know, you have to be like the host of like Dateline or the Today Show. That's it. Right in the main host. If you're like third hour, you're getting like (laughs) one tenth of one tenth of what you're getting. Right. It's crazy. People don't know, they don't know that. And they assume like, for example, even my gig on extra that I just must be killing is like, uh, I practically pay them. <laughs> right. Right. Seriously. Yeah. Yes. So it is interesting. So, but what do you start doing? So friends, I got it. We're clear. You're not killing it. Um, so you didn't have a, t- a big nest egg, but now I had no nest egg and you guys, I couldn't, I had no freaking idea. Remember, I knew what I wanted to be and do since I was 13. Yeah. I didn't think this through. I had to quit. There was no like, not with like the method I teach now, like the straddling method and side hustle and all that. There was none of that. So I picked up dog shit at a doggy daycare on Ventura Boulevard in Studio City. You did not. Yes, I did too. That's so awesome. Because I thought, truly, I thought the gig was, because it was like a doggy daycare. I thought I was just going to play with animals all day. And that was a good thing for me to do while I figured my stuff out. But that's not really what the job was. The job was <laughs> picking up crap all day. You were the and, scooper. Yeah. And... It was okay because that's truly all I could do. Well, it was metaphorical because you were picking up the shit from your own life. <laughs> you know, right. you were just like, all right, I'm figuring this out right now. There is a place for everything, um, including you. So then what? You're a pooper scooper for a while. Yeah, it wasn't long. I mean, it wasn't long, but I had so many people that I knew who were in these like careers. They got a company car and a laptop and a dry cleaning allowance. And I was like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. They're in pharmaceutical sales. And I'm uh, like, and I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we just talk about like health and like disease states all day. And then we have an expense account. I'm like, that's for me. I love talking about health. I always got excited when I got like a health story to cover or something like that. I was like, well, I know I'm a great communicator. Like I had self-worth around things that involved career. That's the only area I had self-worth in. Mm. Like I knew I was talented. I knew I was a good communicator. I knew I was a very good employee. Mm-hmm. So I did have self-worth there. That's why I glommed on to that and became a workaholic. So I interviewed at like something crazy, like 22 different pharmaceutical companies. That's a hard industry to break into. And the 23rd hired me. Wow. Yeah. And it happened to be like known as the best is Merck Pharmaceuticals. It's one of like the landmarks and the best. That's why I tell people, you know, things happen for a reason and timing. Like I got, I ended up getting hired by the best where they put you through like 12 weeks of intensive training. We had semi-privates with Tony Robbins. I mean, they invest so much in your mindset and your sales skill set. That's incredible. And that's where I really had my first exposure to this whole mindset work. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you are a pharmaceutical sales rep for Merck. How long were you there? I was with Merck for a couple of years. I climbed the ladder. So I went from Merck, then I went to another company, then I went to another. So I climbed that corporate ladder as high as I could go when I kept hitting the glass ceiling. Were you always the top sales rep? Always. Uh-huh. <laughs> of course. Of course, right? <laughs> Again, hustled my way. And I remember I would get really envious because, you know, I've, I, I've met a lot of, you know, friends who were also reps or even, you know, as I climbed the ladder, management and directors. And so many people 
were achieving maybe not number one, number two status, but they were doing very well and they seemed to be enjoying themselves. Mm. And I always found those people fascinating. I was, to be honest, there was a lot of envy, Mm -hmm. you know, really jealousy. It was like, how can she just like keep taking vacations and time off? And I didn't understand how to have success without the hustle and grind. I thought these people were just magically blessed and God must hate me. Mm. I really thought that. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't understand and these people just be laughing, not a care in the world, <laughs> right? And meanwhile, I'm like very, you know, serious Tiffany, the serious Virgo. And I'm like charting out my next day and my next quarter and all this stuff. And it's like, I always wanted to be that person, the other person. And I didn't know how to get there. So interesting that as you continue to evolve, you wanted to be seen, you want to be heard, you wanted to matter, you you were developing your self-esteem in ways that you wouldn't have imagined. But each level required a new perspective and a new awareness for yourself. So as I'm listening to this story unfold, it's like, yeah, you got more clarity from the people that you were around, right? From the different levels of success and then being able to acknowledge for yourself, I'm not happy. All this was supposed to make me happy, right? You had the science of success down. The art of fulfillment, on the other hand, was bankrupt. Oh, I was spiritually bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, The only thing that looked good was me on the outside physically Mm -hmm. and my bank account. Mm -hmm. And I was a disaster. Now, if someone peeled back the curtain, they could see that with the types of men I was choosing to be in relationships with, the type of friends, the fact I got sick all the time. If there was something going around, I caught it, Mm -hmm. which I told myself a story of, you know, I just have a weak immune system. That was my big story for a long time. But no one... I didn't have anyone in my life who has maybe evolved enough or gave a shit enough to point that out. Mm -hmm. So I just kept going on like that. I really thought it was my lot in life. This was just my life as I witnessed evidence of other people being successful, but in a more of an ease and flow state. I just thought they got magically blessed. I really did. I did not see any path to get there. I didn't get it. So even with your amazing Tony Robbins sales training and all of that, because that's pretty profound, that would never happen today, right? Right. What a a gift. Thank you, Merck. And I know he talks a lot about what sales really is, which is an inside job. It's the art of personal transformation. It's a spiritual aspect, you know, making money. It's all spiritual. But he gave you guys straight up sales techniques, strategies. Well, and at that time, he's evolved too, right? As we all do. And at that time, he was more of the hardcore Tony Robbins because most of his money was being made in these corporate gigs. And that's what corporations like big insurance companies, ad agencies, pharma companies, they wanted the hardcore Tony to come in. Yep, you know, totally. how many calls are you guys making today? Are you guys really, you know, giving it your best? You know, it was more of that kind oh, of. He, and he's still training. FYI, just a quick aside. He's still that way. <laughs> but oh, underneath okay. it, they get clear on how to align the right person with the right, with the right role mm-hmm. and objective. So that's all shifted. But nevertheless, so when do you have this wake up? Because from what I understand, you were a millionaire at 30. Yeah. Do that through pharmaceutical sales. I did that exactly because I had not yet started a business. So that was through pharmaceutical sales and passive income. 
Wow. Okay. And what was the passive income? So I like what I teach now is you always want to have multiple streams. Even if when those multiple streams start, it's $10 here, 15 there, a hundred there, things compound over time and it's amazing what happens. So I had stock investments. I had CDs. I had index funds investments. I just had like high yielding savings accounts. Mm-hmm. But you guys have to remember the reason I also kept hustling is I was being rewarded for it financially. And then I would be put on stages to speak and get these big awards and win trips around the world and have my ass kissed and, you know, all this stuff. So it was like I was being rewarded for the hustle, yet I was miserable. But here's where the big shocker happened. When I got seven figures in my bank account where I actually saw the zeros in my bank, I was like, holy crap, that's kind of cool to see that. Instantly felt so uncomfortable and unworthy. I'm talking, it was instant. I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was a feeling in my body. I got a pit in my stomach. And within three months, I lost almost all of it. Of course, yeah. You weren't ready and will self-sabotage. Uh-huh. I wasn't ready. And self-sabotage comes up in so many sneaky ways. It can come up with not trusting the right people. I wrote a lot of people checks because when you start making a lot of money, people come out of the woodwork to ask you. So I felt it was my civic duty and it was selfish and horrible of me if I did not give anyone money who asked, whether it be a charity, a church, a person. And so I did that. But the main crux of that money was because I didn't trust my gut instincts about a financial advisor that was highly referred to me. He basically invested my money in, you know, shitty gold mines in order to get some big premium for himself. Mm. I signed all the papers, didn't read one word. That's not (laughs) self-care. That is not self-care. And that you're right, is a self-sabotage that you're not, it's unconscious. Yep. Yep. Like why wouldn't we take one extra moment just to take, just to be thorough? Didn't do it. Didn't cross my mind to do it. When you get hit with finances, this is why I'm so passionate about teaching money mindset and teaching how to make money because that energy and that currency of money is so freaking powerful Mm. that you can transform all the other stuff in your life by using it and by losing it. Mm. And because I lost it, it really woke me up. I went, holy crap, how the hell did this happen? And it had me ask for help, meaning go seek, not so much, I mean, I've always had therapy, but more so like holistic practitioners, like go for a deeper soul meaning. Like I knew something was like broken in me because that's just whack. So is that when you feel like you woke up? It was part of a wake up. I believe that we wake up in stages and layers. Of course. So that was one of my biggest wake ups. And then my biggest today was about, I would say, four and a half years ago when I wanted to kill myself from being a workaholic. Mm. I was exhausted. I felt like I was operating in quicksand all the time. I had millions in the bank, by the way and felt this way. So I figured out like the money part of it. I was a disaster and I was going to kill myself. And I went into recovery for being a workaholic. Like people think like joke about it. Like I'm a workaholic or I'm an exercise addict. That's just as deadly as being an alcoholic or a cocaine addict. It just looks different. So I went into recovery. I didn't go in a treatment center, but I went into 12-step program 
I was that sick. I mean, I almost died from being a hustler. And the very reason why, what, 10 years earlier, you left your CBS role. Yeah. And then at 30, you cracked as well. You realize like, oh my God, you know, even though I'm making the money, I still don't have the fulfillment. I still don't have the ease and the joy and the flow. Yep. I still don't have all those markers that I thought I was supposed to have when I have the financial success. And now I've created my own company and I'm impacting thousands and tens of thousands of lives. And yet it's worse than ever. Oh, I'm going to cry. It was I want to cry for you. It was worse than ever, you guys. I mean, then on top of it, I had the shame of, this is the voice. This is why I teach about the inner bully or the inner critic. The voice in my head was like screaming at me, Tiffany, you don't want to wake up in the morning. Who do you think you are? You have millions in the bank. You are blessed financially. And there's people who can't even afford to clothe their children. Mm. So then, then my inner critic, my inner bully, then compounded my already feeling so low with feeling worse because God, you have all these things and you get to have all these amazing travel experiences and luxury cars and all this stuff. Yet you're miserable. You must be a selfish person to Ooh, the worst. The worst, you guys. And when you feel that low vibe, you just keep attracting low mm-hmm. vibe people, places, and things in your life. Yeah. And by the way, you'll also mirror, right? So probably around you, low vibe, but hustling, making the money, have the stuff to show for it, keeping up with the Joneses mentality, Yes. That's my whole life was everyone was that way, right? Mm -hmm. Because if someone wasn't that way, I'll be honest, I judgment, right? They're lazy. They're not a go-getter. I don't want those people around me in my life. That's really what I thought. And, And I've seen a lot of people, even in our space, and I'm really new in this space, like basically a year, but I've literally heard someone say that they wouldn't even be friends with someone unless they earned $500,000 minimum a year, <laughs> seven figures. And it was like, wow, you know, if there's anything that I've learned, it's to go where the happy is. If happy comes at seven figures, awesome. If happy comes at $50,000 a year, awesome. I want to be around that. And just like you were saying, why do all these people at, Farm, in, in, at Merck, well, why do they, they're like number three or number four. I'm number one, but they seem so happy. How did they get that gene? What's wrong with me? Am I just broken? Right? I, that's what I thought my entire life until I really, I would say it was until four and a half years ago because my first company, which I still have. Now, that what I've is had that for, company? So that's TLC Enterprises. It's not a you know personal brand or anything. It's a company that does digital marketing for pharmaceutical, medical, and health supplement companies. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's my seven figure business. Mm-hmm. And then I started Project Me with Tiffany Carter. Now it's been a year. That's my passion business. I had the idea ten years ago, but I wasn't ready. You know to put yourself out there. Oh, your story as a personal brand. I had to be ready. I had to go through some more shit in order to do it because I knew I wasn't going to repeat what happened when I was a newscaster. Mm. I did not want to step in and kind of play the part, which I obviously knew how to do, but that, that's soul crushing. I yes. wanted to step in and be all in and be me. And that took, it took a lot of work. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the podcast and now all that you do. So you have the posse and you have one-on-one clients. Yeah. I love one-on-one clients. A lot of people in the coaching space, they'll go, why are you still doing one-on-one clients? And I said, are you kidding me? And I said, it's so gratifying. And that's where you get to see the most amazing transformations and work. And I go, 
the greatest, you know, most well-known coaches actually do one-on-ones. They just charge, you know, millions of dollars for it or whatever. That's right. And I said, I love that. I'm like, thank God my own coach still does, you know, one-on-one coaching. So yes, I do that. And then I have my group membership, which is where I teach people how to create that financial freedom, but with ease and flow for themselves. So that was the other thing. When I started Project Mm -hmm. Me, I promised myself Hmm. that I'm going to do everything in my power to build this brand in ease and flow, not in the hustle. I've never done that, you guys. I built my last company in the hustle, right? Being a spaz. I wanted to prove to myself and to other people, you can have a successful company, you can reach your dreams, but do it in a different way. It might not happen as fast, but so what? So for me lately, and I have a business advisor that gave me a statement that I now live by, and he's like, patience is the fastest route to success. And you hear a lot of very successful people say that. And of course, they'll say that 20, 30 years into their career, right? But it's not as sexy or as commonly heard when you're a year in, two years in, or under five. They always talk about grinding and the grit and the hustle. And so at a year and a few months in, I realized for me, while I wasn't suicidal, I was beyond exhausted, had no more drive, no more joy. I couldn't even remember why I had even started all of this in the first place. And then I, and this is where I want to take off with you in this conversation. Then I started comparing myself and I just thought, oh God. And anytime I go down that rabbit hole, I feel so depressed. I can't even tell you. And then I'll go into this weird, either procrastination, fear, freeze mode, or I'll put myself into a frenzy of action that's not rooted in substance and what my soul is calling for. And so with enough of that bullshit for a while, then I was just like, that's it. And I just decided to only go slow. I'm going so slow that I'm almost worried that I'm procrastinating, but I want to have that conversation on your show. So what, okay, I'm going to have a question. What do you think is the difference? Because I've heard you say that procrastination is often disguised as fear. But what do you think is the difference between procrastination and genuinely going slow and knowing the distinction? So with procrastination, it doesn't feel good. There's a lot of shame around it. You're probably using the word should a lot. I know I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should have done it yesterday. I should do it tonight. And it feels icky. It feels shameful. It feels low vibe. That's when you know you're procrastinating. When you are going slow and you're in the flow, there is a sense of peace. There's a sense that you are connected to whatever your divine spirit is, you know, whatever that is for you, God, higher power, angels, whatever. And you have that sense of serenity, even if there's still a little fear in there, because of course you're doing something new, you're, you're starting a business, you know, there's going to be fear, a little fear is a good thing. But the underlying root of it is serenity versus shame. Totally. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Great answer. You, you start Project Me, and now you're speaking on many grand stages in the personal development space, which is different than the corporate space or where you were in the past. How did all that happen? Because you did that fast, my friend. That's what everyone keeps saying to me who's in this, in this space. And I, and I want to say this because you said the comparison thing. Mm-hmm. So for the comparisonitis people, and I say this to people in my posse, I say it to my you know, audience on Instagram, 
is you have to remember, before I started this, I had 10 years of experience as a seven-figure entrepreneur. It looks fast, but I also had years of experience. And a chunk of that is in digital marketing, which is a very key component to any business today, especially this, you know, online business coaching and all this, you know, other stuff. So it isn't really that fast. And that is such a good point. You said that because this is what we do. I do it too. I call it the shame scroll. Shame is such a familiar feeling and yet we still keep doing it. It's almost like a hit. It's like a drug hit or something. You start, I'm just going to look at Instagram. It's also a form of procrastination and dissociation. But you start scrolling and it's like, I get triggered by heavy hustling women and who also happen to be moms because I'm not a mom of human children. So I give a lot of extra clout to women who are in business and working who are moms because then I'm thinking, oh my God, on top of already being a mom, which I know so much work, they're doing this, that, and the other and their hair's perfect and their makeup's perfect and Ah, you know, and I start going, oh my God, I'm like way behind. I don't have human children, I have fur children. It's like, God, I maybe I should be hustling more. And you can go down this whole shame hole in it. And the truth is, is that I I privately coach some of these people and some of them are also, you know, friends. I know what it is behind the curtains. And I also know why it triggers me. That's the old Tiffany. If you guys saw me, if I, if Instagram existed 10 years ago, I would have been that person. Yep. And I would have not been authentically me, but I didn't know it. I would have thought I was actually being me. But it was, I had just had that false go, go, go for so long. That would have been what you saw was that. Mm-hmm. So how is it different for you now? Now, what I like to do, I saw a hole in this whole personal development space, especially from women, where people weren't telling you just how to do the damn thing, you know, actually giving you key practical takeaways and sharing the truth about it, sharing what it really looks like to be an entrepreneur and how long it takes and the setbacks that can occur and the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs and I did not feel there was anyone really putting a real voice to that. And I knew I had the capability to do that. And I was ready to be humble and do that. Mm. So I love being the person. And my goal is to be the person when someone comes across, across me, whether it's my podcast, it's Instagram, it's Pinterest, whatever it is, that they feel better when they read some of my content or watch me on video or something. They don't feel shame they actually feel better or maybe just they've learned something or it's like, okay, I can slow down. That's my goal. Not for someone to go, oh, I want to be like her. I want to be like her. That's ego. And it's that that hole that you're talking about, the white space, which I think is so needed. And I think it's going to get filled up more and more and more. I'm hoping anyway, it's my lane and it's your lane. It's why we're on this, this highway together. But it's where people are letting you see what it's like behind the scenes in real time. And when everything's at stake, right, right before you take the big stage or launch the next project or open up the next course, not 10 years later when it's safe to talk about it, right? right? No. And simultaneously, not only are you giving it to them real in real time as it's happening, but you're also not that frenetic, desperate, chronic poster. So like, for example, like I'm, I think last week I posted once on my Instagram. And so there was a part of me, I'm like, okay, now you're taking it, you're taking it too far. 
<laughs> and I thought, but I'm not. And then I read something that someone named Danielle Laporte said, and she's become kind of a friend. Someone had asked her, how will you know when it's time to stop procrastinating? She's like, you'll, you'll know. So how do you know, Tiffany? No wonder why you're so talented at what you do. Mm. The most talented people ask the best questions. Oh, thank you. Uh, that's a beautiful question. You know when you can't deny it anymore. Any of your own stories or the lies we all tell ourselves, they just don't work anymore. And so therefore all arrows are pointing in one direction. Hmm. Um, usually it happens in stillness and silence, not in doing a thousand tasks and being a spaz and going to the gym and organizing your sock drawer and cooking and launching and posting and all the things. It comes in when you're in the shower, right? When you're taking a bath, my second office, when you are... True story. <laughs> very true. You're floating in the pool. You're going for a walk. So many of us avoid stillness. I had people tell me to be still when I was that, that, that old Tiffany, as I call her, and I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I was terrified of slowing down. Right, you know, because if you slow down, then you won't matter, which goes back to the very core of what sparked the intrigue about Deborah Norville. Yep. If I go do that, I'll matter. Yep. If I go make the money, I'll matter. Yep. If I get X amount of Instagram followers, I'll matter. If I get more than 1 million, I'll really matter. Oh yeah. And I kept upping it because it was, it was, I have a million in the bank, I'll matter. Then that wasn't enough. Then it had to be two. Then that wasn't enough. And then I even have told my, a, sto- a story to myself before I launched Project Me a year ago was, I'll be satisfied when I at least have 10 million. And I started laughing at myself because <laughs> I just keep upping it. We matter sitting on our couch doing nothing in our sweatpants. We matter whether, we're on a, whether we speak on a large stage or we're talking to a stranger at Starbucks. We matter regardless, but unless we get to that point in ourselves, we're going to keep chasing it outside of ourselves till our death. Couldn't have said it better. Now, how has your experience been running Project Me, the posse, the podcast, the platform, the coaching? I mean, that's a whole different lifestyle. I thought because of having all the years of experience and you know making a lot of mistakes, you guys, as an entrepreneur in 10 years, I mean, a lot of them, learning from those mistakes, coming back from losing almost a million dollars, all those things I thought, I, I got the business side down. You know, I really thought that it is a totally different business model. I'm not dealing with corporations as much. I'm dealing with small business o- owners you know, I'm dealing, there's a lot more emotion, a lot more feelings, a lot more tears. There's so much more. And because my name is attached to, it's not just some like company name. TLC are my initials. Like I have cute initials. And so it's like TLC Enterprises, like that could be like, you know, a stripper company for all we know, right? right. And so that doesn't even have my name, so to speak, on it. This has my name on it. So there's a whole different level of emotion. So when something doesn't go right or someone does me wrong, meaning, um, you know, I have people who work for me, right? So I recently had a bad hire who I invested six months of time, Mm. my heart, my soul, everything into who ended up being blunt, you know, screwing me over. Mm. Not trying to be a victim here, but that happens in business. 
you're going to have people that don't really care about your business that you hire and you learn from it, right? But that's happened with my other company. And I'm like, next. There wasn't too much emotion. It might have irritated me or annoyed me or something like that. And there wasn't much emotion. But when things happen with Project Me, girl, it took me two weeks to recover from it. Yeah. Well, because it's such a personal project and you're so passionate about it and you would think that you would attract like-mindedness, right? And there is that art of of hiring and the art of firing. I mean, it, it is very real. And plus it's an intimate space. Yeah. It's all intimacy and your mission is so sincere. And so that you think you're attracting and magnetizing the right people to you. And then you groom them and cultivate and share. And yeah, it's a fine line. I had the same, very, something very similar happened to me recently, but those are all blessings, right? And then you learn with the benefit of hindsight. So, you know, I love how every part of this conversation, we just keep waking up more fully. And the more that we fire, take action, inspired action, Right then you can readjust your aim, but from an awakened soul, from that awakened mindset of like, oh, wait a second, because you get to look at where you can own it. Where could I have done differently? Where could I have invested more wisely? Where could I have made a more conscious choice rather than the self-sabotage that we all do, right? I'm projecting here. I have no idea if you were doing this, but like same thing with not sign- looking at the contract that your financial advisor, did something like that happen with this hire? I love you. Oh, (laughs) nailed it. Nailed it. Now, if I wouldn't have even brought this up if this was a week and a half ago because I was in the thick of it, right? Right. I wasn't ready to talk about it, but I'm ready now. And I always look at my part and you're right that absolutely it was a sneaky form of self-sabotage. Even all the work I do, all the personal development, all the things, right? Mm. All the self-awareness I have, we're still human beings. And you're right. I might have still hired this person because this person is, was very talented, is very talented, but they would have been fired within the first two weeks at their first mistake instead of me making a story and making an excuse for them mm-hmm. because I wanted more for them than they wanted from themselves. Well, isn't that a fun limiting behavior that I've done a million times in my life in relationships? Thank you for owning it, right? Like, because that's the only way that we truly get the responsibility and, and, and is when we take that ownership and then we can have all of our power, which is what I think we all want. Like that's that self-power, self-mastery, you know? But by the way, we don't just ever get to some hurrah and then we're done. Like you were saying earlier, it's not like you wake up once and that's it. Some have that. Yes. Like a Byron Katie or, you know, an Eckhart Tolle who was living homeless on a street, you know, or on a bench in, you know, Central Park. And then he had an awakening and that was it. But there's going to be nuances if you have to hire a team. Oh yeah. There's always different layers the more money you make, you know, you guys have heard more money, more problems. It's really more money, different problems. That's all it is. Yeah. It, it's all, yeah. it's all it is. It's just different problems. The problems are usually more expensive and it's, it, there's it. shit at every la- level. There's never a point where you go, I've made it. <laughs> never. Okay. But as we're wrapping up, how would you describe your flow, your pace, your state? And where you are now, as opposed to maybe even a year ago when you were launching Project Me? Well, I'll say this. How I would have handled, let's just say this recent situation I shared with you guys. How I would have handled that even th- even three years ago, this person 
I did a mistake that I lost $70,000. Okay, mm-hmm. I need to say that because this is relevant to the story. It wasn't about the money. It was more about other things. You can always make back money, but still, who wants to lose $70,000? So what I would have done, the hustle old Tiffany, I would have been scrambling spaz to make up that 70 grand that I lost mm-hmm. because that would have felt like, okay, I didn't lose. Like I can, I'll make it back up. And I would have been fixated on earning that back instead of feeling my feelings and processing the situation because that would have been easier. The Tiffany of today, right? The project me, Tiffany, is I've postponed my launch. So the project me, um, Passive Income Posse is my group membership. That's only been in a soft launch to my community and podcasts I've been on. I've not done like a big launch where I've run ads for it or anything like that. So you're doing that. I will be doing that. I was supposed to do that the week that I had to fire this person. And I gave myself permission. We're not, no one's chasing us. I gave myself permission to put it on hold. It's fine. And that for me is the core of why I knew we were excited to get on on, on a call together is because the only person rushing us or making us feel like we've got this urgency, this desperado that is so, it's killing us, is us. And when we compare or when we judge it up against some objective that we made without even really knowing how this all goes or what we'll enjoy doing or what we really want to grow or what's lighting us on fire for real, right? Not just like some made up version, like I want to be a newscaster because then I will matter, right? No, it's the same principle. And so going slow, taking our time, nurturing it, aligning, right? Then your aim is really refined. And that's what I love about this is that now you're able to look back with the benefit of hindsight being 2020, each step along the way. Imagine a year from now. And this launch will be epic. Of course it will be. But you'll take it at your own pace. Exactly. And I'm trusting divine timing. What I mean by that is I'm allowing myself to be guided, divinely guided. I know when it will be clear, right, versus procrastination. I know when it will be clear, okay, now it's time. It's time. And it's going to be actually work out for the greatest good because that's always what happens when we don't force something, right? It's so true. And it's not, you're right. It's for the greater good, the good for all, not just for Tiffany. Right. Right. Or Tiffany's eternal fiance. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'm say heavy. But it's for the greater good of all. So I love that. Well, this conversation has been amazing. I know we're going to hop onto yours now. So I want to honor the time. But how would you describe an awakened soul? It's going to be the final question for my listeners. I would say, now I'm going to cry again. Mm -hmm. An awakened soul is when you've come home to yourself and it's probably the first time, aside from when you're born, Mm -hmm. you're coming back to your true self and you fall in love with that true self. You know, all the imperfections, all the quirkiness, all the beautiful things, and you fall in love and fully accept yourself. And there is no better feeling than that in the entire world. I would give away every penny I have to hold on to that. Now you made me cry. The most beautiful answer. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fire and Soul podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at fireandsoulpodcast.com. 
Thanks for listening.